Well, hello, and welcome to another episode of Counterculture Ketchup, where we recap our weekly discussion. Our goal is to motivate the church to influence the culture around us with the kingdom of God by applying a biblical worldview to every single topic. Amen. To my left is our precocious pastor, <laughs> Pastor Jamie. Jamie, feeling young and spry today? Uh, <laughs> Smarter than usual? Neither. What do you say for three? <laughs> well, if your eyes are in None. any indication, yeah, then... <laughs> oh man, it's a long day. Um, but uh, but we're here. But we are here, and uh, we had a good good counterculture. Uh, bef- before we get into that, I'd like to uh, thank Catherine for her comment. Mm-hmm. Um, said you guys are so funny, and this series has been very feel good and a fun learning experience filled with silliness and laughter. Uh, thank you and blessings to you both. We really appreciate yeah, you watching you, and com- commenting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Number one and, fan. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you are a number one fan. <laughs> Besides my mom. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh, so we're very grateful for that, you know, and um, hopefully maybe sometime you guys will come back out to New Jersey That'd for a awesome. little while. It'd be really cool to hang out. Yeah. So, um, yeah. We'll have like a studio time. audience. Yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Midnight at Freedom Church. <laughs> Hi, Catherine. <laughs> You'd have a front row seat. Yeah, anywhere I you mean, want. I mean, people are trying. They're like, oh, yeah. They're, oh, they're lined up out the yep. door. I mean, right now, just waiting for us, um, getting our autographs and everything. It's great. I think they had a straight jacket, actually. Ready. Is that what that was? Yeah. <laughs> But anyway, thank you for that. Yeah, Um, yeah, so um, after this video or on any one of our videos, uh, we'd love you to leave a comment uh, and tell us what you thought Mm -hmm. or if you have a topic that you'd like us to address. Um, Some people have been given some topics that we're going to be addressing in the future. So thank you for that. Yeah. Um, Now we're in the middle of a series called How Should We Then Live by Francis Schaeffer. So we are on episode three today. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of dealing uh, with the cursory view of the world from the birth of Christianity in the Roman age. Then we went last week through the Middle Ages and how the church survived that and then how it um, grew into this age, the Renaissance yeah. today. And uh, and also, although this is a, I think it's a 10-part, is that right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> 10-part series. You know, we may split it up. Mm-hmm. You know, we might take a break and go over um, maybe some other topic. Yeah, definitely. You know, for a week. Um, we'll we'll see how things play out. But, mm-hmm. yeah, um, one of the things, though, that actually had come up in the class, and this is probably jumping the gun a little bit, but okay. I'm not going to get too into it uh, yet, but maybe a little bit later, um, that uh, like what you were saying with the how the church has consistently gone through. So it went through the Roman Age started in the Roman age, went through um, Roman age, persecution into the middle, uh, middle ages. And now it's in the Renaissance. And that was kind of a subject that we were talking about and how the church has continued to, to just keep, uh, keep pushing forward, keep growing, you know, and, and, and uh, influencing the the world around it. Mm -hmm. And so, and that's the whole point of our, our, uh, you know, our closing, you know, the gates of hell won't prevail against the church. When you say it you know, right, yeah. Yeah, when I say it right, not like Yoda. <laughs> um, but uh, but we, 
but understanding that, uh, you know, we, we really are the light and we really are the salt and, uh, and there is nothing that can prevent the power of, of the gospel, Mm -hmm. the power of God, um, from going out and changing lives. Yeah. The darkness has not overcome it. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, when you start to think about what, what light and darkness, the relationship that they have, it's like darkness always gives in to light, you know, right. it always loses to the light, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, so it was a pretty, it was a good conversation, yeah. you know, we got off of this subject, you know, um, a bit, there's a lot of little details here mm-hmm. that he goes through, but a lot of it is a reiteration, you know, so through the Middle Ages, you know, there was kind of a the church was still pretty involved. There was still that it, where it, it kind of degraded a bit, <clears throat> but then, you know, you saw like Charlemagne and you saw these other people start to bring a little bit more of that, um, the church, mm-hmm. um, ideals and things like that back into it. So, so more of a, a spiritual aspect, but then in the Renaissance, I think our key takeaway in the Renaissance was it was all about, uh, humanism. Yeah. You know, it became all about humanism. And the autonomy yeah. of humans to dictate how they are to live outside yeah. of the purview of a God. Yeah. If you ask anybody in the Middle Ages, like, do you believe in God? They'd be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, right. what is life without God? You know? <laughs> right. There's definitely, yeah. <clears throat> um, it was everywhere. And especially because the church, the established church, was the God over the people, really. And in some ways, obviously, that's not a great um, way to live. And you see the, um, the problems with that. Uh, in the Middle Ages, but then going into the Renaissance, then if you asked, it was the um, like the Enlightenment period where it's like, oh, we've come out of the Dark Ages, right. which I thought it was interesting <clears throat> yeah. that it wasn't called the Dark Ages by the people who were living in it, right. but the people looking back on it called it the Dark Ages because they weren't, they didn't have this Enlightenment. You know, they were stuck with their stuffy books and philosophies and stuff. But now we have this Age of Enlightenment where we know reason. You know, we have the the capacity to um, to do all of these. I think they were saying, I think it was Da Vinci, who um, he rattled off like 20 different things that he was, you know, engineer, a scientist, oh, musician, right. <laughs> a scholar, a writer. He was a real renaissance exactly. man. Yeah. You know, that's what, uh, that's what it was all about. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, it's super, it, it is really interesting to, um, to see that people, continually go back to that idea of wanting to be autonomous, yep. not wanting to, there to be any kind of uh, outside influence to determine what they should be doing or how they should mm-hmm. be thinking, how they should be living. You know, and he even referred to uh, Dante, um, which was an interesting point where it was even in, in the, the marriage um, life of these people Mm -hmm. you know it became this this odd kind of mix where it was a dichotomy in dante and other writers between the sensual and the idealized you know um spiritual love kind of thing Mm -hmm. you know it's like even that wasn't uh it was this this kind of split between the spiritual and the humanistic yeah and uh just so, a strange. Help me, help me understand that a little more, because what I think what he was saying was there was if you had this girl that you wanted to be with, like right. this ideal woman, and there would even be. Um, he talked about a lot how the um, culture was being 
painted in, in all the paintings. And you right. can kind of get a sense of what the culture was like at that time based on the paintings and the music and that stuff. And so if you see in uh, one of these paintings, there was a guy who the painter drew himself <clears> next <throat> to this woman who was his ideal woman. But it wasn't his wife. Instead, his wife was more of a um, mean, and I use that in the term sure. of um, not anything fancy. Yeah, just or, middle of the road. Yeah, yeah, because she could be used for what he needed, right. like um, cooking, you know, all of that stuff. Sure. You know, so is that what he's trying to get at? The ideal woman, but I can't be with her because that's like more. It's too sensual and emotional. I need practical. Yeah, I don't know if that's necessarily what he was getting at. I, okay. I mean, uh, what I kind of took away is is that it, it it really is a symptom of the of the real underlying problem, you know, and okay. that that it, it these um, <clears throat> and he he goes later on. He talks about like um, uh, what was it uh, Michelangelo, right, and and David, right. you know, and it's like this this idea that no one can ever you you Reach. can't get there mm-hmm. so they're they're establishing that but they're thinking that um they can get there okay. you know now michelangelo i think he it was da vinci i forget which one um realized that later in life that I, I you cannot that. do it you know i think it was da vinci mm-hmm. yeah da vinci yeah da vinci you know, saw that yeah, yeah he started to see that that all these you know this glorification of this the the perfect man kind of or mm-hmm. idea was futile you know it and and it's an interesting thing too cuz one of the things that uh that uh, the worksheet says which i i it just kind of stood out to me and we'll link all these sheets below the youtube video <clears throat> oh, as yeah. well as the link to the video that we watched tonight too yeah um and it says and how do we know what is right or wrong if there is no absolute to give us certainty mm-hmm. and those two terms absolute and certainty so we're you know the the idea of humanistic you know this humanistic belief system that is is we have no like we're finite we're not infinite. We don't know all the right things. Mm-hmm. We don't know any answers. We have no absolute, but we're looking to ourselves to give us a certainty. It's impossible. Mm-hmm. You need an absolute to have certainty. Right. You know, it doesn't work mm-hmm. any other way. And so it's a, it's, a, it's a good, really a good logical kind of critical thinking way of looking at yeah. that too. You know, so I think with with that that um this spiritual idealized spiritual love Mm -hmm. thing i think it was again just lifting up this this image of like ah that's that's where it's really at Mm -hmm. you know and that's where we're headed Mm -hmm. you know we're i'm trying to get there you know because you look at the the paintings um what was it he he listed so many different people um where the where the paintings started to become much much more, uh, much more detail with the the people looking like real people. Yeah. But oddly enough, all of the uh, um, like the sizing, the uh, what do you what would you call it? I forget. I wrote yeah, it down. Like the, pr- the scale, the perspective. Yeah. It was totally off because people were starting to be seen as the thing. You know. Yeah. Now, all this other stuff, nature and all this stuff, well, that doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. It's humanity. This is where it's at, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, so I, I think that's what 
uh, that's what I would take from, yeah. from that. Um, yeah, I know <clears throat> next week we're going to be going into the Reformation period. And I think this is an important stepping stone to get into the Reformation because what the Renaissance was doing was putting the emphasis on the individual man as opposed to the, um, the, the church's system or especially these like I, I, ideals that we, we can't get there. So when you go to the church, the, med- the medieval church, it was unapproachable. You would go in there and feel small, mm-hmm. right? What the Renaissance did would be like almost give power to the, to the man again, you know, uh, to men and women to where they can feel like they actually have like um, a say in the world. Now, they did it without Christ. Right. They had no, um, no absolute to rest their uh, value on. But then I think going into the Reformation, this is going to play a huge part, and we'll see that next time, because there the emphasis was, again, placed on the individual person, but now it was the individual salvation became so important. And instead of it being um, works and, you know, doing all this so that the church accepts you, sure. kind of a thing. Wow. <laughs> um, now the emphasis is going to be placed on the common person having, uh, being a priest to God, not the class of priests, but this was Luther's huge point about everybody in Christ is a king and a priest. And there's these social classes or these um, religious classes have to be um, more or less torn down. There's still structure in the church and stuff. But um, but the, the class system of mm-hmm. we have to go to this priest, they have to go to the bishop, they have to go to the pope, you know, um, that was going to be a real sticking point of the Reformation. So it'd be interesting to see how you know, even through all of these periods, God was using that as waiting for the perfect time, you know, to be like, all right, and Luther and John Huss, like we talked about in the Middle Ages, these were all really important building blocks to get to that Reformation period. So yeah. that'll be interesting to see. Well, that is interesting. So do you think that the um, this, even this humanistic kind of idea mm-hmm. that was being portrayed influenced that reformation kind of mentality in a, in although it was a humanistic point of view um as christians they were still influenced that well man is important Mm -hmm. the individual is important Mm -hmm. you know or or would that have been kind of the idea of the church to begin with you know throughout Mm -hmm. well i think i almost see it going back to the way that it was in the roman age where it was very simple and but it was it wasn't based on a, the building of the church it didn't have the establishment right, of the church right. there and i think it's going back to that you know i think of the um what was called the protestant work ethic which is when the reformation happened people would love to hire protestants because they were working so hard because they were working for the lord right, right. and um but it was still based on the individual's work you know, not to get to heaven, of course. I mean, that was the whole point, is now we're justified before Christ, before God. We have, like, our salvation is dealt with. We're right. not doing this for salvation. Right. Because then there's that fear. And like right. First John says, where fear yeah. brings brings torment. Sure. You know, but in perfect love, <clears throat> cast out, out fear. It brings freedom. And so now you have freedom to do everything you do to the Lord. Sure. And that was um, one of... One of my favorite parts of the Reformation that does not get talked about a lot, which is when Luther was saying the plowman, the baker, and the pastor all have equal standing before God. They yeah. all have a, such an important role in the kingdom of God uh, to where whatever you're doing, 
you're um, doing it for the Lord and you're on equal footing, yeah. you know, before the cross. Yeah. So I think that that's what I mean. Um, it took it out of the, the kind of uh, ethereal atmosphere of like the church, you know, being unapproachable and put it into the common everyday sure. world again, you know. Um, so bringing it back, seeing the influence of the, of the, that kind of underlying, um, underlying power of the church, you mm-hmm. know, that's growing throughout culture. I guess the church, the church as the, um, invisible church. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Not the, the visible church. And I think that's the, yeah. the, the difference. What's our button say again? <laughs> I was thinking that. Nailed it. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect for the Reformation. <laughs> I did actually forget. I was like, yeah, I did too. I was thinking about it as you were talking. I was like, I want to use it, but I don't know what it says. <laughs> Be like, <laughs> wrong one. Oops. You know, okay. I mean, I'm glad that we talked about the Reformation because nailed it yeah. is, of course, perfect for that for Luther. Sure. But it would have been perfect for next week too. See, yes. God is working. Even in these little things, even, even in our buttons. <laughs> even in these little things. Um, but he talked things. a bunch about the, uh, he talked a lot about art tonight. Yep. A lot about art, a lot about the um, architecture and how that all ca- came into play. Music. And it was, it was uh, again, it was showing how good humanity could be. Mm-hmm. You know, we could do this, mm-hmm. we could do this. Well, I think. Uh, music, which was really yeah, cool I love too. that. But I think the reason he brings that up is because those are the things that we have that have survived, I think, yeah. more than anything. Even history, you know, history can be um, twisted, obviously, as we see, can be revised, can be um, kind of always has a, um, a motive that goes along with it. You know, the goal is to get to the truth, but everybody kind of has their spin that they put sure. on it. But art and music and the things that we architecture, like we know when this was made. So what, <clears throat> what does that speak about how the culture was at that time? So I think that's why he brings up those things a lot. But what's interesting, I think this is a good point that we could probably bring up, is that, uh, you know, in all these things, there is, you know, we, we have this this idea of the this humanistic kind of ideal, right? You know, shooting for the ideal. And out of this period came some really, really great stuff. You know, our, our, mm-hmm. the orchestral music is fantastic. You know, it's so well done. And, you know, and then the architecture, the art, you know, we have these things and they're really, really good. And we have to be careful not to throw everything yeah. out. Like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, all that stuff is bad. We've gained a lot of things because of this period. Mm-hmm. But, and, and the ideal, like they're shooting that humanity is the ideal. Mm-hmm. But we have an ideal who is Christ, you know, and we should we should be shooting for that. You know, he is the perfect man. He is the one that we should look at and say, I want to be like him, Mm -hmm. you know, and that should be our goal. So so all these things are good in a sense. It's just how are they? You know, what's the perspective of them? Right. You know, is it to glorify man or is it am I doing this to to glorify God? Yeah. You know, like you were saying with. um with Martin Luther, right. you know, <clears throat> so. Yeah, I think um, one of the most interesting things from last week and in this week is how Aquinas's view of the natural law and of the mm. intellect comes into the Renaissance period, and he brought that up too. Yeah. Um, Dante and uh, with his works, um, and um, he mentioned Judas and Jesus 
being like Caesar and Brutus yeah. um, betrayal, you know, and so kind of making connections between Christian uh, and then classical elements too, and like fusing them together. But you can t- definitely see how Aquinas's thought of uh, natural law, which is being that God has given into nature and into the, every man and woman um, universal ideas uh, inherently. So think of like the um, the Declaration of Independence where all men are created equal and are endowed by their creator of having certain inalienable rights. So it's like this is what God has given to humans. It's nothing to do with whether or not humans know it, accept it, whatever. Sure. It's just inherently in them. Um, but it's interesting because Aquinas, like we talked about last week, did not believe that the intellect was affected by the fall. And so mankind in and of themselves could reason their way. Right. Um, to God. Um, but I think as that uh, line of thought kept progressing, I think it may have given rise to some of these humanistic um, ideals that then shot way over even what Aquinas would have said, because now it's saying we don't need God because we have this, uh, we have all that we need in and of ourselves right. with this reason. Right. You know, um, as well as being you know, biblically, how does that work with um, the intellect not being uh, affected by the fall? Um, But even though there might be differences among Christians on that view, it's interesting how uh, he brought that, and he brought that up in the video, how Aquinas' view then made it into this, the the Renaissance period, and how that could have given rise to that humanistic, we can do it, you know, kind of um, view. And then, and, and given rise to it in the postmodernist kind of mentality mm-hmm. too that there is no truth there's no universal you know there's mm-hmm. no uh objective truth everybody just has their own and yeah. so because i can reason right you know i can de- decide what's right and ro- what's wrong kind of thing yeah you know it's an interesting yeah i guess aquinas what, what he would say is there is still an absolute right or wrong because God still has given us his word, sure. which can still tell us what is right and wrong. Um, so I think the um, the mindset of Aquinas might not have even been too far off. Right, but it, the, the humanistic... Right, the autonomy. Drag on that, yeah. on that thinking. Yeah. Converting it into a yeah. thing. Once, you give, once yeah. you give humans a little bit of an idea yeah. of like, you have this control over... Um, your reasoning and your thinking and stuff. It's like, all right, I'm going to take that and forget about God. Yeah. I, I know what's right for me, you know, and, and everything. Yeah. But you forsake scripture and the universals then. And then it gets back to what we saw in the Roman age, where it's just whatever you uh, or whatever the God or the, um, the emperor says is right or wrong. Right. That's what becomes right or wrong. But again, once you, you put yourself as the arbiter of right and wrong then you have subjective morality and that can never um, have the foundation to withstand um, the weight of culture you know in a whole society and that's what we see in all of these ages really that without god being the center of it all you have subjective morality sure and and anything subjective can't can't um make of itself anything absolute you know it's right. impossible yeah. <clears throat> and and it's you know we use that term absolute or absolute truth or whatever mm-hmm. truth is absolute right in itself 
you know so so with that anything subjective cannot can't produce truth you know so we have to have the absolute we have to have something that is uh, transcendent and beyond us right um, being finite so so I have two yeah. quick questions oh good one okay we'll say maybe they're cute what, cute maybe they're cute maybe they're quick <laughs> <laughs> Of course, I'm saying them. Of course, it's gonna be cute. But <laughs> um, my first right? question is, uh, what do you think about today? Yeah. Because today we have kind of an amalgamation of all different like, worldviews. Like, well, yeah, like literally today, okay. like all over the world. You know, you still have countries that are ruled by really one line of thought. You know, especially in more communist countries or. Not America, let's say, but America is a melting pot of sure. you know, every single type of worldview based <clears throat> on the individual. You know, it's not just this is when people when history looks back on us, they're not going to be like, well, this was the view of America in this time. Right. It's like there is not one. Well, just one well view. thinking about that a little bit more, because we discussed this in, in the class that, you know, you have your your other cultures that can be very homogenous. Mm-hmm. We're not homogenous. Right. Um, but there, there is a, there is an underlying thing that, that does homogenize our culture and it's our constitution mm. in that people had come over and from all of these other countries mm-hmm. to be part of this, True, yeah. this melting pot, but the melting pot was united, um, and homogenized on the Constitution mm-hmm. and our Declaration of Independence and that idea of America. And that's what is amazing, really, mm-hmm. because it's different, you know, because right. the other cultures, they're homogenized because it's the culture. It's right. what they, it's what they, you know, were, were raised on or it's, you know, it's, it's forced usually, labor right, or it's something. Right, usually the you know? state that Yeah, it could be the, the state. They, yeah. Um, and uh, Well, the Constitution <clears throat> really is saying you have the freedom to believe what you want to believe. It does yeah. not say you have to believe in Jesus. Right. You know, in the Constitution. Yeah. You have the freedom to do that, but you will abide by certain rules like freedom of speech and sure. all. Sure. But it's the but it's yeah. those freedoms that 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 whole idea of um the American dream, you know. Right. It's like that's the ideal that homogenizes or has homogenized. I should have called you a homogenizing pastor. (laughs) (laughs) Homogenizing? What am I trying to say? (laughs) Homogenizing. Survey says. Can I have some of that homogenized milk? (laughs) Nailed it! (laughs) That's loud. (laughs) Um, But we are a a huge melting pot, you know, which so culturally, you know, and that's um, that's what we're seeing more now, though. We're seeing a lot more of this um, tribalism, uh, separation because of group, which has never been never been part of America. I mean, there have been groups and there have been people who come over. You have Chinatown, you have all these, you know, I get all that, you know, that's fine. That's your culture. Okay, cool. But they were all, I mean, not every single person, but, but the idea I think was, this is the land of opportunity. That's why we want to be part of this. We're going to keep our culture, but we're going to work within the the sphere yep. of that ideal. Exactly. And 
You still want to be next to people not. that you recognize and that speak yeah. the same language as you. If, sure, uh, like there's sure. a big Syrian community next to where I lived yeah. called the Zaloom household. And yes. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so obviously they're because they know their culture, they know their food and everything. But why were they coming to America? Yeah. It's because America stood for something greater than yeah, Syria yeah, stood for. Which is great. And they could yeah. have that freedom, you know. Which is great. And then, um, but but we're not seeing that now. That's a difference that we're seeing in America now is that that people are are here. People are still coming here because of the opportunity, because of the yep. freedom. You know, we see you know people coming over the um, the Mexican border. We're seeing people coming from all over the place, other countries, uh, and. A lot of those folks are taking taking advantage of the of that the the opportunities that are afforded here, but unfortunately, there is this idea that is pretty prevalent now that you know. Of course, you hear about all this stuff with the sixteen nineteen project and mm. and that uh, the the nation's racist and all this mm. kind of stuff, and it's building this separation in the culture yeah. that people are not standing on the constitution now they want to get back to this humanist kind of idea so you know the founders kind of they were i mean they were men who understood that this humanistic establishing a culture on a humanistic perspective or ideal it goes nowhere you know, so they they saw that no, we have to establish this for an ethical and a religious yep. um, people. That that's what our constitution is for. Right. Uh, and so, you know, God given rights, not people given rights, right. not state given rights. You know, not opinion based. You know, it's uh, it's freedom based. I think that's also why, and this kind of leads into my <laughs> other question. I think that's why even non believers who are in America, they still will. Um, adhere to the natural law of that they know inherently I have a right to live to the pursuit of happiness freedom um, safety you know those things that is like um, being endowed by our creator with those like the constitution was made for that for they believed in in God right but I think even without somebody believing in God I think they still are kind of taking from the Christian worldview. Sure. But they are believing that they they know inherently that they're made for something more and that they um, are endowed with these things, these rights within them, even though they don't know who gave it to them. Sure. You know, and I guess that brings me into my other question, mm -hmm. which was... Um, that wasn't it. No, but it was close. It was close. Um, do you think it's kind of... Uh, I don't know, a crutch, let's say, to say, well, hum humans naturally um, need these universals. We need morality. We know that that's true. We, we know that doing certain things is wrong and certain things is right. Um, does that necessarily prove that there must be a God that's higher than us? Or could that be seen as, well, Christians are just saying that there's something higher than us because we have this need for something more? I wouldn't think it would be like the God of the gaps crutch kind of thing okay. where it's like, well, you know, because you see this, there has to be a God. Yeah. Um, because you know, morality is true, that there has to be a moral standard. So there must be a God. Well, well, I mean, from the atheist perspective kind of thing yeah. where, where they might, might be saying that, you know, we're, we're using that as a kind of an excuse for God. Um, but I mean, be, it, like we that's have, not necessarily. We have... That's not necessarily 
um, accurate if they would say that, you know, because we do have it. We do have a, a conscience and we do have a we know when things are wrong and when they're right. And culture doesn't set that stuff up. Right. You know, we we know that we're um, inherently selfish. We know like we know all these things and we know what morality looks like without us being told what that is. And so we can use that as kind of a, um, you know, maybe an apologetic for mm-hmm. for uh, there being something greater than us. Right. Because how could we establish something without even knowing it? How could how could naturalistic um, mechanisms establish some sort of universal moral? Yeah, thing that's what I'm getting at. In mm-hmm. in in people, and not not to say that that you know people are are following those things, mm-hmm. but but that it is innate in us, right. you know. So so, those... so we could use that as an argument for well, well, give me. I mean, I would say, well, give me another reason, you know. An- uh, g- another, give me another exam, another reason other than God for that. You know, another explanation. Another explanation of how we got sure, how that how would that happen naturalistically? Right, right. And and what's the point? You know, and what's the why is there a set standard throughout? It's not just our culture that says sure. you know murder is wrong, right? That's universal. Yes, there are obviously some gray areas of morality in terms of taking to help sure. somebody else. Sure. Does that make it you know things like that? But in general, there's definitely a universal and a universal knowledge of what is right and wrong. And so I do think that would be, yeah, where did that come from? Like you have to either explain that um, either by evolutionary <laughs> means, I guess you would have to just say sure. o- over time, but it kind of goes against survival of the fittest though. Yeah. Survival of the fittest says it's a dog eat dog world. Yep. And if we're all animals, I mean, animals, they feed on their prey and it's not viewed as wrong. Right. So, why well, would you, be any you may run into, you, you know, you can run into from a naturalistic perspective, kind of a, looking at it from looking at it like this, that, well, we are all one species. And although individually we want to protect ourselves, ultimately, yeah. we're, when we're not, when ourselves are not challenged, um, then our our naturalistic goal is to protect the rest of the species. So I could see how they could kind of come up with an idea for that. But the problem is, is the, it's, what's the point? Like, what's the point of those things? Mm-hmm. Um, especially for things like, you know, not stealing, not, not committing adultery, mm-hmm. you know, those kind of things like, well, what, no what higher... would be, what would be the point of of that coming into the the picture, mm-hmm. you know, uh, monogamy and, and all that, you know? Yeah, well, maybe that's why we're getting a push away from that. Yeah, well, look at yeah, look at what we're facing now in culture. Mm-hmm. You know, all this. Um, if it doesn't feel, well, I, we've been facing that for a long time. This whole feeling based kind of mm-hmm. thing, but but now it's um, it, it how you identify is the most important mm-hmm. thing right. you know so whatever you think again it goes back to intellect you know mm-hmm. your intellect is what's most important mm-hmm. so it's how you view yourself mm-hmm. you know it's like what are you talking about intellect and and your emotions and emotions yeah, yeah. well because it's based on humanism mm-hmm. uh, and autonomy 
I am my own God, really. That's still there, man. And so I get to I get to decide what to do with my life instead of there is something outside of me, something that's greater than me, and something that once was best for me yeah. that has told me what right is, is and what wrong is in a loving way, not in a domineering way. Um, in the Bible, obviously, is what I'm getting at. And so now we have an unchanging standard that we can actually go to, and that that's what Schaefer gets to at the end of this, that Scripture is really the only thing that is strong enough to withhold this whole, all these universals, right. where it says, in the beginning God created, and you shall love the Lord your God, and all of, the, all of these things. Um, that then goes into um, Christ fulfilling that and being, like you said, our ideal. So when we follow those things, they are, it gives a reason for why we have these universal things in the world. If, if it was an evolutionary-based kind of thing where, you know, we just, we evolved to, to have these, these morals, then we would see these morals acted out more consistently mm. in human beings. We don't, though. You know, we need something above us to establish the framework for us to say, I want to do the right thing, which is what the scripture says, Mm -hmm. you know, we wouldn't need that. Why would we need that? Why would we need to have something, you know, beyond us to say, no, 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 you you need to, you know, love your wives. You need to, you know, um, love one another. You need to, you know, take care of the poor. If that was all just built into Mm -hmm. us evolutionarily, then we would all be exhibiting those things. Right? Well, it's an interesting dichotomy from Scripture, too, because Scripture says both that mankind, even without God's law, knows what's right and what's wrong, Romans 1. Right. right? It says even though they don't have the law, the Gentiles, and yep. yet they still follow God's law. And yet Paul says in Romans 7, I think, he says, I would know not to steal right. if the um, command, no, yeah, unless exactly. the law told me yep. not, not to steal. So it's almost like, yeah, everybody <laughs> innately from God has the knowledge of what is right and what is wrong, but maybe they don't have the ability to actually carry that out. Mm-hmm. Um, they know that it's wrong, but they can't stop it, you know? And then when, once you have the law of God in the scripture, then it gives you that, ah, now I have an understanding of why I've been thinking this already, but never really able to follow it or given a reason maybe mm-hmm. to follow it, you know? Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, I'm just thinking about if if... So humanity tends to revert back to this humanistic idea, and we see it all through the, 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 these eras that we're yeah. studying. That would be the default evolutionary position. Morals would not be the default evolutionary position. Mm-hmm. And, and we have, I mean, we can look at civilization to see that. We, we know that's not the case, mm-hmm. that we don't default into doing the right things. Mm-hmm. We, have to, we have to strive to do the right things. Mm-hmm. Different, you know? Like, you don't have to, we're essentially working against our natures to do the right things. Mm-hmm. So it can't be evolutionary. It, it wars against the, mm-hmm. the whole nature of humanity. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, so yeah, it's just a bad argument, mm-hmm. you know, to, to think that, that we could possibly have morals. It's a bad argument all the way around, you know, that because of what I just said, but also because 
we can't have, um, there has to be something transcendent that sets the rules. You know, we, and again, see all through history that if we, if we set the rules, whether it's our opinions or we set up our own demigods or like the Romans and we do all these things, it always falls flat because there's, because it's finite, you know, it's finite and it's, it's not big enough. Yeah. You know, so we need that transcendent, all knowing, all powerful being that sets the rules. I'd be interested <laughs> uh, to hear your guys' thoughts about that. What, what is the what is the difference between how we all know what right and wrong is, mm-hmm. and yet we need God's word <clears throat> to tell us how to do that, and to help, and we need the Spirit of God so that we actually can do that, um, and how that all fits together. You know. Yeah. Speaking of Spirit of God, I'm gonna try and like sell this so. Um, next time I preach, which is the last Sunday of, of the month, I usually preach the last Sunday of the month. It's going to be so cool. I'm going to play, I'm going to be Don, I'm going to be Donald Trump right now. It's going to be the best. It's the best. You're going to, you're going to love it. Um, <laughs> but uh my friend he always nails everything he does <laughs> that was perfect man this message is gonna be huge <laughs> it's gonna be huge <laughs> this is gonna be the best message that anybody ever has ever <laughs> seen or heard or said ever ever <laughs> forget Spurgeon forget Wesley <laughs> <laughs> It's our precocious bastard, oh. <laughs> born out of time. But I'm I'm really excited to. Uh, I've been wanting to do a study on what is the, uh, what is the most important work of the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. in all in in Christians today, and because uh, we we can get so caught up in all these little I think ancillary aspects of the Holy Spirit. But I think the Holy Spirit has a key work that he wants to, to work in us and through us. And I'm looking forward to, to mm-hmm. studying that. So, Yeah, we get uh, so um, such an esoteric, like feeling-based thing about the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And especially because we see the uh, manifestations of the Spirit, uh, either today or especially in the Bible, with tongues, healings, miracles, yeah, and all yeah. that. And so we want that mm-hmm. when really, like you said, that's... Um, important and, sure. and great and we, we should be longing for those things um, revelations prophecies visions you know all of those things but really the goal of the holy spirit is changed hearts yeah. and um walking hit, to have the person that the spirit inhabits to be walking in the spirit daily yeah um <clears throat> yeah i'm looking forward fellowshipping to with him yeah so. so i'm looking forward to it eh, you might not be but i am so I definitely am. Anyway, um, that was a little digression. That was good. I have one more question for you. Actually, oh, good. Speaking yeah, about good. the Holy Spirit. Did I? Uh... We got into uh, we got a little bit into uh, eschatology as we are uh, want to do. Yes, I love that. <laughs> so um, yeah, I mean that got into a, a big digression as it is <laughs> as usual when that topic of the mm-hmm. end times comes up. But it, it felt all right. Though. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. It was. Yeah, it didn't offend anybody. So that's I hope. Good. Well, we'll see if anybody comes back. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but um, I did want to mention or ask you about how, now that we've seen through the Roman Age, Middle Ages, and the Renaissance, how has um, 
our view on the eschatology uh, being a more post-millennial view where the kingdom of God is advancing, uh, it's growing, Satan cannot stop the spread of the gospel, it's going to continue to grow and to flourish. Um, how do we see that in the Renaissance especially, uh, as opposed to the Middle Ages? Uh, how do we see the kingdom going from that mustard seed to the, to the tree? I don't know. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> That's really helpful. <laughs> anyway. But I think it's important because but anyway. um, you see a lot of people with a certain uh, end time view where you see things getting worse as right. the, the ages go on, waiting for Christ to come and finally make things right again. Whereas um, for us and what we see, we'll have to do a counterculture on this uh, one night to get really into it deeper. But um, where we see, you know, Christ is ruling and reigning now. You know, he's sitting at the right hand of the Father and uh, little by little, his enemies are being put yeah. under his feet. Yeah. Um, you know, so I know we don't always see it, right, in, in history or right. in... Um, but that's, you know, we have to look at yeah. long periods of time kind of, so that's <clears throat> I think why Doug, I'm yeah, Doug Wilson mentioned 500, you know, you got to look at it in 500 year increments and see that all of the, the, the work that the, that church, the church is, is continuing to grow. I mean, we see an increased kind of, as he puts it, drift towards a total, uh, humanism mm -hmm. in, in this Renaissance time. But then throughout the Renaissance time, we get. Um, like you had mentioned, it comes uh, uh, John Huss and uh, Wycliffe. Um, and Wycliffe and these and Calvin and all these guys and you um, and it's like this is you know so the church is still growing mm -hmm. you know although it looks humanistic mm -hmm. you know a lot of lo the culture looks humanistic so so we have to be careful not to lose sight of the fact that we're gonna we face these battles you know these are these are enemies that are that are being placed under the mm -hmm. the, um, the feet of, of uh, uh, Christ so mm -hmm. <clears throat> I don't know if that answers your yeah. question or not, no but, definitely yeah um, and we'll see that as um, you know if you're somebody living in let's say like the black plague yeah. or you know you're gonna be like oh how is this but it's like well this too shall pass you know looking at it from a big picture perspective when you're in there you're probably going to pass yeah. you know um but that's why it's so important to have like you said a long long view of history and in what god is doing in the world at large yeah not just in our little sphere well that's the other issue we we tend to as americans we've had so many freedoms for so right. long that uh that we can get you know we've become very comfortable <clears throat> and really have not been challenged you know, we right. don't really face persecution. You know, I know, you know, some people might, you know, you might might have a court case because, you know, like the baker in I sure. think Colorado or something like that, you know, his faith's being attacked. But his face being attacked. Faith, faith is being attacked. <laughs> um, that would be discriminating. <laughs> yeah. And so, but for the most part, we as Christians really don't, mm -hmm. we're not facing persecution in our country, mm -hmm. you know, little stuff. But when you really consider persecution in China or in, in, um, in Islamic, the Islamic world, sure, yeah. I mean, people are dying, yeah. you know, because they're, they're claiming 
you know Christ mm-hmm. as uh, as their savior and and Lord and and it's like you know we we just don't know what that's like so we can really get caught up and mm-hmm. like oh you know yeah. um, Roe v Wade you know well it's overturned but you, you know there's still thousands of babies dying it's like well yeah that's bad but mm-hmm. hey man you know what are we doing as the church mm-hmm. you know and we. And the church always has grown out of tribulation, out of persecution. Absolutely. And that's kind of the point yeah. is that it's that's the birthplace of what Christianity is all about. It's not about thriving materially. Yeah. You know. Um, and so I think even through that, um, we're seeing the growth of people who want truth. Yeah. You know, like you you were talking about last week. Like people people dig truth. I like that when you, when you said that. Because um, that's when you're going to see the church, the true church. We get so locked up in numbers and in, you know, how many people are this or whatever. The Middle Ages, everybody was a Christian, but like nobody was, you know, kind of a thing. And it's like, um, again, taking that big picture view and seeing the church grows out of tribulation and out of persecution. And it will continue to do that. And as long as the people are being faithful to keep preaching and not giving yep. into that tribulation it's going to keep growing well and that's our job you know and i think that the more comfortable we get we we tend to sit back and kind of just you know we we forget the the importance of the body of christ we forget the importance of us being the the mouthpiece of christ on this earth and we get comfortable in our chairs at church and we we do our, we work, we do our thing, you know, we pay our bills, come to church on Sunday, we go home and that's our life. Mm-hmm. And it's like, we, we, I think we should just have a more of a perspective and, and take, take, take things a little more seriously, mm-hmm. you know, take, take, uh, what the body of Christ is a little more seriously, mm-hmm. take our opportunity to our, our call to go and and uh, make disciples, and how are they going to hear without a preacher? Mm-hmm. You know, and and we have that message of the gospel, the power of God and the salvation. You know, so it's like we have that. Mm-hmm. We we should be bringing that. And if we can have that mentality, and the church could could be faithful with those kind of things, you know, and I, and I get you know <clears throat> things are different you know think time times are different you know we have to work we have to right. you know there's there's so much that has to be done especially in this area this this part of the country <laughs> it's not laid back at all you know things are so expensive too so mm-hmm. I, I get all those things but we can still have the attitude of what's important yeah you know and just showing up on sunday isn't the important part mm-hmm. You know, it's being something. here, it's something. It's good. We have to. We should. It builds each. We build each other up. But if we're, but if that our mentality is, I've done my 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 mm. job by going to church on Sunday. You missed the mm-hmm. the whole point. You know, we should be coming to church to be fed and to be equipped to go out and do what we're called to do. Mm-hmm. And you know, so that's what we. I mean, that's why we meet, mm-hmm. you know, right. to equip, to be equipped, yeah. you know, and uh, to have, to, to be encouraged to go out and, and do it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, there's always something else to do, but, but not to be discouraged either. Mm-hmm. You know, that's where the escal- es- 
eschatological viewpoint. Nailed it. Thank you. Um, can can really shift your your motivation. You know, so having kind of a more of a post millennial viewpoint definitely shifts my motivation mm-hmm. to be like, okay, I'm not waiting to see, like you said, I love it, six 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 on the on the monster can. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, please, the end must stop. be stop. <laughs> and uh, you know, looking for a sign and everything, mm-hmm. and then you know, and and then being like. Um, you know, hiding in your your bomb shelter instead of saying, "Whoa, well, no, let's go, man. Let's 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 take the we're we're the kingdom, we're a kingdom yeah. of of kings and priests. Let's get out there. Let's share this gospel. You know, let's not just share it, but but disciple people. Let's bring people into the church and let's train them up yeah. to do the same thing. You know, yeah. bring the light where." into the darkness well let me put it this way and i'll use this as a challenge to myself as well if you're not doing something worthy of persecution are you really doing enough because i don't think that there's any shortage of an allowance for persecution in america mm. just because we are you we're allowed to preach mm. you know we're allowed to but if you are not being um put down or in some way somebody saying something against you because you're preaching the gospel too much then it's like are you really doing enough yeah for for the gospel not saying you have to be belligerent obviously i wonder persecution is probably the wrong term no yeah like i see persecution as like literal harm no no i mean i mean verbally more or less yeah you know or challenged i would say yeah exactly more challenged exactly um yeah people bringing up differences or, or something to where you're not just going home you know what i mean you're constantly interacting or seeking to interact with people and that is going to bring pushback because the gospel offends as yeah. well as saves you know um but if we're not doing that in our own lives then and i definitely that's sure me first yeah, yeah, you know me too. um then how are we going to advance the kingdom you know because the kingdom grows under persecution, yeah. under tribulation. So if we're not be having any tribulation in our lives for preaching the gospel, then um, we might not see the growth, you know, that we should be seeing. Sure. Well, it's only going to make us better, too, oh, personal yeah. growth. And yeah. in understanding how to, we talked about this tonight, too, a bit, um, emp- to, to have empathy, you know, to mm-hmm. really try and understand where people are coming from, why they're thinking the way they're thinking. And, uh, and we learn that when we're, when our, you know, when we're challenged, you know, when we're willing to stand and, and do the things we're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's good. And I, <clears throat> you know, I want to do more, you know, for sure. Um, but, uh, that's why I preface it with, I get it. I get how difficult it is, <laughs> you know, <clears throat> running a business and taking care of Couple all kids. that kind of stuff. Yeah, a few. <laughs> yeah, just a few. And uh, but at the same time, I do, I don't want to use that as an excuse mm-hmm. to not do what, you know, n- not get the message out. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but anyway, that's good. That's good. Cool. How do you feel? I feel caught up feel caught up good you 
not up on sleep, but yeah, <laughs> counterculture. So, uh, <clears throat> yeah, so we really do appreciate all the comments and thank you for, for listening or watching. And, you know, uh, we'd love it if you hit the like button, subscribe to uh, Freedom Church NJ, where you can see all the, you know, uh, probably not all, but a lot of the prior messages at, on mm-hmm. Sunday and, and the counterculture catch up and, mm-hmm. and uh, maybe visit if you're in the area, yep. come and visit church. Um, and, uh, you know, leave some comments, some ideas for us to, to go over and counterculture. Mm-hmm. And we really appreciate it. Tell somebody. We're so grateful. Yeah. 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 Definitely share it. And <clears throat> at some point, this is probably, I mean, I'm, I tend to talk too much really about things yeah hmm. um but at some point we're gonna have a counterculture store what? um oh we have so many ideas dude we <laughs> have so many ideas yeah it's so good it's gonna be great so um, the most provocative merch <laughs> you've ever seen that's right <laughs> yep Just like nobody will go by without asking you a question yeah about it. yeah yeah so at some point we're gonna get that up and um so we look forward to that mm-hmm. And, you know, any ideas, too, to, uh, you know, how to be more effective out there, you know, how to be a better yep. light, how to, how to uh, maybe venues, too. If anybody's around, you have any venue where you think, like, this would be great to set up a table or, mm-hmm. or to, um, to reach some people, yeah, shoot, shoot them our way because we would love to, to set something up and maybe get together with whoever, mm-hmm. you know, sends us that info. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, I guess that's it's pretty much it. Yep. You know, so episode three in the books. Yeah. yeah that's Next good. week, uh, everybody have a happy, safe Thanksgiving. Oh right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we're probably not doing the the Friday night. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but um, and remember. Oh yeah. Right. All right. So I got this ready. I'm gonna do this. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> I'm gonna do it right this time. <laughs> I'm gonna do it right. The gates of hell will not prevail against the Church of Christ. Woo! So don't lose heart. Nailed it!